0: Well, hello church. There's, there's a series of stories we did that were quite popular and we kept them going for a while. We didn't do stories about Jesus in that block. Although, if you take a look back about a year or so ago, we did four or five Sundays on Jesus stories. Some have asked why we didn't do more. And the reason is it takes a long time to do those because they're so amazing. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick look at the story of Jesus, but from a different viewpoint, perhaps, than you've done before. I work a lot in science, and so I'm around agnostics and atheists. And by and large, by the way, they're lovely people, uh, and they have reasons for being who they are and not believing what they don't believe. But sometimes they'll engage me in discussions. And one of the things I like to do, especially if they're in one of the hard sciences. A hard science is something that can be absolutely measured. Um, The data is there, observable. And so things like physics or chemistry uh, and the like. I'll I'll say, "Why why don't we play pretend? Why don't we just do a little thought experiment? If there was a God... And if that God came to earth in human form to help us, not to smite us, what would that look like? And we'll sit and we'll jot these things down. And by the way, scientists love games like this. This is what scientists often do. They'll say, what if and how about? And then they will throw this spitballing back and forth, trying to get some, something on paper, which may or may not work, but it gives you a starting point. And after we're done... Very often, I find myself smiling and just turning the paper around, shoving it over to them and saying, check your inbox. He is, he showed up. The very one you thought would show up, if there was one, did show up. And we'll take it from there. Now, how do we do this? Well, I like to use the book of Mark. Mark is probably our oldest gospel, but there's no way to know that for sure. And it certainly is our shortest one. It's basically a collection of things that Peter said and his sermons and the like. And by the way, all statements about who wrote anything, some people dispute. But let's just stay with it. Uh, I believe John Mark put this together for Peter. So let's go there. If there was a God and if he did come, what would he do? Well, first, one of the things he would do first is shut down the other gods. Atheists and agnostics sometimes will correctly say that Christians are atheists too. Hang on. The reason they say we are atheists too is that we don't believe in Zeus or Poseidon or Venus or Mars. However, we do believe in God. And they say, you're just like us, but you just believe in one more God than we do. And I always love that argument because first of all, it's a fair argument. And second, it gives me the opportunity to say Why I believe in that particular God who we call Yahweh or Jehovah. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Well, if God came down to earth, one of the first things he'd have to do is deal with these other gods. And these other ideas of gods. The scripture tells us that there are angels that went bad. And some of them we call demons. And some of these demons, according to Paul masquerade as as gods in fact he calls them gods and then he'll say but they're not real gods they're demons that say they are gods so how would this God handle it well that's really early on I mark chapter 1 right out of the gate Jesus goes to church and you shouldn't be surprised by the way if you go to church and find a demon they've been there all along he goes to church and there's a demon Uh, chapter 1 of Mark verse 23 Then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out. And I'm going to stop here for just a second. All right, he's got an impure spirit. There's so many ways to to translate this thing. It's It's a bad spirit. It's a demon is what we would call it. Well, he's about to very emotionally cry out. If you read scripture, I would like for you to try something. Read bits of it out loud. And with feeling, whatever the feeling is in that context. Too many times I've heard this read, and Spirit cried out, "What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? If you come to destroy us, I know who you are—the Holy One of God." That has zero power. I and mean, that's not going to land anywhere. Read it like, "What, what do you want to do, do? What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? If you come to destroy us, I know who you are—the Holy One of God." Well, this demon's panicked. This demon is frightened. Why? Because Jesus walked in the same area. That shows you something about the supremacy of Christ. But then the next bit, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. That's the NIV. I really wish we had the guts to translate some of these words right. Jesus really said, shut up. Nip it. Cut it. Just... Hit the mute button. You're done. But we don't say that. In fact, I did that during a sermon. I brought that up during a sermon once. This is years and years ago. And this young lady came up to me. She was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. Looked at me very seriously. And I said, doing all right? And she goes, you said shut up. I said, yes, yes, I did. She goes, my parents say you can't say shut up. I went, shut up. I mean, no, sorry. And, and we, 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 we developed from there a good relationship. Jesus said shut up a few times in scripture. In fact, we're going to find another one here. And if I remember, I'll bring it up whenever we hit that one. This is not the standard exorcism. This is not that we're going to boil water, grab a crucifix, say the Lord's prayer certain ways, do some Latin things over here. No, the entire exorcism was was really pretty quick. Jesus said, shut up. Done. There's your God. If God came to earth, he could do that with false gods, weak gods, any other God. And guess what he did? Exactly that. In fact, he even says, get out. They come out of him. Just, just shut up, get out. That was it. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And People were all going, what just happened? They do. The people were all so amazed that they ask each other, what, what is this? This, isn't, this is new. And he speaks with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits. And they obey him. Well, just a few verses down. It says that Jesus just got in the habit of whenever he entered a room. He wouldn't let the impure spirits speak. Which is, again, rather amusing. But a sign of great power. You know, The impure spirits are in there wanting to yell and shriek and do things. And he's not letting them make a noise. And he's not saying anything. He's just doing it mentally on another level. So the people in the room don't even know what's going on, but the impure spirits are going I love this. And I hope that today you see some of the joy that I found when I was in my thirties and went back just to the gospels to read and read and read again. I found joy there that I'd never found in religion before, but also i got very impressed very impressed indeed another we we're going to look more at this what do we do with other god's thing but instead of hopping back and forth in mark uh, going after one subject we're just going to kind of walk through it a little bit all right another question people ask was is that if there is a god and this one comes very often if there is a god why should they care about me why would be the, that why would be that interesting i mean take a look at earth you've seen the universe well, not all of it, but you've seen pictures, right? It's vast. And it used to be, people used to believe that the earth was the center of it because God came to us. We're the most important thing in the universe. So everything in the universe you know, revolves around us. Well, we've learned that when it comes to universes, uh, we got a big one. And when it comes to galaxies, we have a eh, relatively small one. And that it's nowhere near the center. In fact, I'm not really sure we can figure out what the center is. But they're looking. In other words, we're, we're living somewhere way off in uh, rural Kansas, my Kansas friends. Uh, why, why would he come there? It's like Jesus comes to the world and he goes to Colby, Kansas. Well, why wouldn't you go to New York City? Why wouldn't you go to LA, London, Jakarta? Why, why wouldn't you go to Melbourne? Why are you going there? So we always wonder, does he really care for us? Well, the same chapter, Mark chapter one, they, went, they left the synagogue right after this. They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon is Peter. Simon's mother in law was in bed with a the fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. Fever left her. Here's a, here's a God that when he hears about a sick mother in law, doesn't wait to be asked. Doesn't wait to be begged and begged and begged and begged. He just hears about her, walks in and heals her. I submit to you that any any God that would immediately just heal mothers-in-law uh, probably loves everybody. And I know it's an old joke. It's an old joke. I got a great mother-in-law, uh, and my wife is a great mother-in-law to uh, to Josh and and to Megan. But you get the point. He. He his, his first response is to do good, to forgive, to care. That's, that's his first thought. And it, it's just amazing to me that the very, very thing we say we want, we got, and somehow kind of missed it. Same chapter, a man with leprosy comes up. Now, leprosy in our day and age is something called Hansen's disease. And Hansen's disease is not super easy to catch. But there were other forms of leprosy, and there still are forms of a leprosy-like illness that are very easy to catch in some places in the world. Uh, because of hygiene, because of medical treatment and such, these things which once were horrors have kind of retreated. You know, you, the United States used to have two leprosariums where you would, send lepers. Uh, one was in Louisiana, one was in the state of Hawaii, before it was a state even. Um, it is now not that much of an issue. Uh, but what happens with leprosy is your, your nerves die. Uh, people say, well, your, your body bits fall off. Well, that's because the nerves die, and you damage yourself, and you don't know you're being damaged, and so the damaged bits fall off. It's a horrific disease. And back then, it was highly communicable. There were a lot of rules in the Old Testament about lepers. A lot. You know, ringing the bell, singing unclean, staying away from everybody else but lepers. It was a, um, it was hell. It was hell on earth to be a leper. When verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, first of all, love, love the faith. Second, Uh, I like the way this guy just kind of, he didn't push the envelope. He broke it. He tore it up. He threw it in a shredder. He came right to where Jesus was. Jesus was already being regarded as a rabbi. So he was not supposed to be around anything unclean. And the leper's not supposed to be around anybody, not a leper. But there they come. And Jesus didn't stop going, whoa, 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 rule breaker here. We have ways of doing things. And this is not the way, got to tell you. Once traveling through with my family, small town, don't even remember the state. And as we pulled in for Sunday night uh, worship, because while you're still traveling, we still worshiped, you know, on on the schedule given, Um, somebody, I think several people recognized my father, and they decided that, uh, they came up and they said, uh, you know, Brother Mead, would you say the prayer? And he said, sure. And so a song leader, after one of the songs said, now we have a, you know, Brother Mead's from so and so, and he's going to come up and lead the prayer. Dad got up, took a few steps, and one of the elders stood up and went, um, um, here we do the reading and then we'll do the prayer and everything had to be readjusted because it wasn't the way they did it I mean the reading and then it was a disruption didn't need to happen but we're like that we're going that just makes me feel uncomfortable well this made a lot of people feel uncomfortable so if God came down what would he do he'd smite him he'd absolutely smite him not with leprosy he's already got that but uh, probably something else right No. First of all, God came with faith. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' reaction isn't, well, of course I will, or smiting. It was something very human. Jesus, verse 41, quote, Jesus was indignant. Yeah. Now, by the way, later manuscripts, uh, like the ones that the King James used and others, couldn't handle that. And so they wrote, Jesus, Jesus was filled with compassion. Can I ask a favor? Quit trying to holy up all of the stories and make them all stained glass windows. Jesus lived in sweat and dirt. And he ate nasty stuff because he had to. That's all they had. And he slept rough. I mean, this is reality. Jesus got indignant. And he said, I am willing. In fact, some uh, the other ways that this is being told in the Gospels is, if I'm willing, <laughs> what? In other words, how dare you think that God doesn't care about you, Mr. Leper? And he says, of course I'm willing. Be clean. And you notice something else about this? No ceremony. No big ritual. No big, all right, everybody gather around. You got to see this. I want you all to understand now, we're being nice to lepers, and this is a way. No. Jesus didn't make a show of people. He would have made a horrible TV preacher because he just, he wouldn't stomp around the the stage being dramatic and yelling. And no, he said, I am willing be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Uh, It's it's wonderful. Uh, John, uh, it's not John, Mark chapter two. One of my favorite stories as a kid, they'll tell you why. Jesus is speaking. It's church. They're doing church. And he's speaking in in his house is packed. I've been in these places before that are packed and the windows are open and people are looking through the windows. I've been in those before. Mainly in Appalachia. And they got a visiting preacher in and the people coming from all around. And so Jesus is, is going at it. Well, two men have a friend who is paralyzed. Don't know why he's paralyzed. Could have had an accident. Could have had a disease. Probably an accident. But these men care about their friend. And so they're bringing him to Jesus to see what Jesus can do for him. Because he's been healing a couple of people. You know, that's the word. So here they go. Well, they can't get in. There are too many people. And it's, it's a crush of the crowd. And these people did not have late Victorian British manners, right? We always assume that's the norm and everything else is below it. No, this is, <laughs> this is the norm. Just crowding in. Because they want to hear they want to, and so what do the guys do? They go up to the top of the roof and they start dismantling the roof now that's one thing when you're when you're a boy and you hear people are dismantling part of a house, and yet they're not going to get in trouble that's we're hooked all right, what's the rest of this thing? So Jesus is preaching, and they start lowering him right in front. you know it's just going kind of, eh, eh, eh. now. You know there were some people in the room. That said I, I, I don't approve of this. this. is not the way we used to do church. You know I knew when we started with the NIV. It was going to lead to lowering people from the There are people. That if they saw Jesus walk on water. They would scoff and say the man can't even swim. We have to be not those people. We got to be not the people. that always get outraged. Always get upset. No. These people are taken apart a house, and interrupting church, and Jesus is okay with it. There you go. That's pretty, pretty amazing, but it gets better. Jesus looks at him. He immediately is struck by all this, and he goes, your sins are forgiven. Notice something. Jesus' first impulse is to forgive a man's sins. We don't even know if sin had anything to do with why he was paralyzed. It could be, but there's no reason to believe that or not believe it. We don't have that info because we don't need it. What we need to see is if you're following Jesus, your first impulse is to forgive even when it's not asked. Your first impulse is to serve, like the mother-in-law, even if it's not asked. Well, the people in the room kind of muttering to themselves going, "Yeah, well, that's easy to say. Your sins are forgiven. Fair enough. I've watched uh, so-called faith healers that are always, and what do they do? They always heal the unobservable. You know, they don't grow you back a new arm. They don't take, get rid of the, your cystic fibrosis, your cerebral palsy. No, no, no. It's a spot on your liver. It is uh, you know, tinnitus or some, something you cannot see. That's what they always go for. Jesus, Jesus knows what they're saying. And he goes, well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. or Arise, take up your bed and walk. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And the guy gets up gets his bed and Jesus sends him out of church. That's also pretty fascinating. He didn't say rise take up your bed and join the no. He got him out of there I think it's because there's going to be a church fight and he didn't want that to be the first day the guy could walk getting involved in that so sends him right out. I love these stories. These stories are amazing and then uh, Jesus walks by and he sees a tax collector. This is where if you're in a melodrama everybody would be coaxed to go boo. I love melodramas, I've only been to a few of them, and I find them fascinating, you, you only, as far as I know, you only find this, in, these in America, but it's, it's uh, old western style things, and whenever the villain comes on, you're, everybody's supposed to go boo, and the pretty lady, ah, that sort of thing, and they, they involve the audience, and you see a tax collector, everybody's supposed to go boo, because who are they collecting taxes for? The Romans, who are the Romans? They are the despots. They're the dictator squad. They're the armed force of pagan worship. And here's a Jew collecting the taxes. Jesus stops, looks at him and goes, follow me. You're going to be one of my guys. Now, Jesus already had some people. He had some people that were zealots. In fact, James and John, at least. Peter, perhaps. We know Peter carried a weapon. So, what were zealots? Zealots were a political, religious outfit that believed in stabbing, killing, and otherwise harming traitors to Judaism, uh, which included tax collectors. And Jesus is telling you, You're with me now. And these other guys are probably looking at each other, going, What? And tax collectors probably going, I'll never sleep near these guys. We have a kind of God. That doesn't put barriers around people. Doesn't say you can't come in because of your politics. You can't come in because of your situation. No. He says you come on. And then tells the rest of us. Get along. Love one another. That's a pretty impressive God. Oh but there's more. There's so much more. Chapter 3. Jesus walks in. And some of the men on the Sabbath day were going to watch Jesus. Let's see if he's really a Christian. If he's really okay. Christian Christian Twitter makes me sadder than anything else on Twitter. Even the rank politics don't make me sad. uh, No matter what happens. One side will say, that's not Christian. And the other side will say, well, you're not Christian because you said that. Jesus is just the opposite of all this. He didn't walk around throwing people out. Walked around bringing people in. Well, here's a man with a shriveled hand. I'm going to do it like this with my hand. I have no idea what it looked like. Um, The reason that this is a problem is because this man cannot go to the temple. He has a visible disability. That's one of the rules. This man cannot do a lot of work. Because they did not have facilities to help the otherwise abled, as we might say today. So here it is on the Sabbath, and they see Jesus... And this man are coming into the same orbit. They're going to kind of, and they're going, what's he going to do? This is a Sabbath. A lot of the Sabbath rules that have been piled up since God made the rules were actually onerous. They were burdens on people. The fact is that um, that's not what God intended for them to be. And Jesus makes that very plain. They even believed you couldn't go more than a Sabbath day journey from your own property, which is about a third or a half a mile in most people's estimations. And so some people would take old pottery and break it, put it in a sack, because if they wanted to walk farther, they would just drop one of those every so often. That way they're never that much farther from their own property. You see, religious people love making rules, and the rules eventually become very silly and exclusive and harmful. So they're looking. These people are watching. All right, what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to break the Sabbath? Jesus sees them. He knows what they're thinking. And he says, okay, okay. And one of the very few times he ever does this, points out what he's doing. Normally does it quietly, leaves the people privacy, and moves on. He has, all right, man, come here. The man comes. And Jesus turns the whole group what is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or kill? And it, you know, they're all going, well, I guess, I guess doing good stuff would be better. And Jesus looks around and says, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And guess what? The people then said, this really is a brave, noble, powerful being. He might even be the Messiah. We should follow him. No, that is not what happened. The Pharisees felt humiliated, and they decided to plot, starting then, how they could kill this guy. Because nothing will make you meaner than religion without Jesus. Nothing. Churchianity won't. Bibleanity won't. Other forms of religion, no. Nothing will make you meaner than to be religious without a full helping of Jesus Christ. Write it down. Put it on t shirt well, they follow him. Uh, he's accused. We got all this kind of stuff going on in chapter 3. It's a good chapter, but I want to get to chapter 4. It's pretty busy. Chapter 4, he tells parables. He doesn't, he doesn't talk in high theology. He just tells stories. And those stories help the people. And, and that last part of chapter 3, whenever people are saying, You're, "You know, your mom and your brothers are out here, And you you need to go with them. He turns to people like us who were just listening, who were just near Jesus, just trying to know how to be better. And he goes, no, this is my family. All believers are my family. And this is why, one of the reasons why our Safe Harbor Church has grown as it has is because we truly believe you are our family. You tune in once, a hundred times, whatever. You write an encouraging note, whatever. It's great. You're our family. It's why we want to go to you and visit you and do that world tour thing. You know, that welcome home tour thing. Well, Jesus, one of my favorite stories in chapter 4. E- evening came. Jesus needed to be alone. Uh, Jesus got worn out by the crowds. Happened a lot. Especially in Mark. Notice how often he tries to get away from some, for some peace. So they get in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. That's a really big inland sea. And as they're crossing it, a big storm comes up. The storm is threatening to swamp the boat. And these seasoned fishermen are frightened. By the way, that is incredibly common. Uh, you go around the east coast of Africa, for example, uh, Somalia, um, Ethiopia. Over People make their living going out into the sea, getting fish, coming back and selling it. And yet the vast majority of them are terrified of the water and cannot swim. I don't quite understand... All the roots of that, except to say that in ancient times, they did believe that there were monsters and gods in the sea. And you see that a lot in the Psalms and Isaiah. Uh, you, there are even names for them, like Rahab was one of the names of the monsters of the sea. But regardless, these fishermen are, are, are frightened. Fishermen, zealots, tax collector guy. Yeah, tax collector guy is probably thinking, if they, if they need to lighten in the boat, I know who's going first. But Jesus is sleeping. And they wake him up. And they said. What? Why are you sleeping? Aren't you, aren't you afraid? You know, and he looks up. And he goes. Shut up. Stop it. To the storm. Now I never understood why they woke him up. They thought they were all going to die. And in fact they even said. Oh, don't you even care that we're about to drown. In other words we're going to die. We thought you wouldn't want to miss it. <laughs> but they wake him up. To join in the fear fest. And he just looks at the storm and goes, stop it. And it does. Yeah. I don't even, I don't know if it made that noise or not, but there. Still, in verse 41, they were terrified. Oh, who's in our boat that can do this? By the way, very often when a storm hits, it's right before Jesus has to confront demons. And here it happens again. They land. And here comes the Gadarene, Gergesene, or the Gesserine demoniac. It's, it's however your particular version tries to transliterate the name of the area. And this man's crazy. He's been, they try to chain him, and it breaks that. Uh, he, he, you cannot bind the guy. And he'll run, and he'll cut himself, and he'll scream. And he's been terrorizing this community. And he comes running up at Jesus. And Jesus doesn't run. He stands right there. This guy runs and falls in front of him, shouts at the top of his voice. So these are the demons talking. What what do you want with me? What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. I always find that fascinating that a demon, demon would say, in God's name, don't torture me. Really? Really? I think you forfeited that option. But Jesus doesn't do that because Jesus is nicer than me. Instead, Jesus just says, get out of him. In pure spirit, demon, get out of him. Just says it once. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is a a thing which completely bypasses us in our modern age. Is that we, we, we name names that we like and we want them to have for any reason. But in many cultures, even today, a name is a very private thing. So there's a real name and then there's a name that you use in public. Because if you know the name back in this day. You could do magic, you could do some sort of incantations to the God to get power over this. So when Jesus says, what is your name? He is directly saying, I'm taking your power. I'm taking control. And the demon answers, my name is Legion. Now that was probably a smart aleck response or a defensive response. Um, It doesn't mean his name was Legion. It just means there are a lot of us here. It's not just one. A legion was thousands of men in a Roman uh, army unit. And see, he's saying we're you know, up to 6,000 by some reckonings. He's going, there are a lot of us here. And Jesus just says, "Go, go. And then they begged him. We, we, we want to be in somebody. We want to be in something. He sends them in the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff and die in the water, which is hilarious, frankly. Um, and they're, well, not to the pigs. I'll grant you not to the pigs. But to the rest of us, it's, it's rather wonderful. I, I was at the University of Michigan once when somebody was you know, challenging me. I was speaking about faith and science. And they said, well, Jesus there broke the law because if he's really God, he knows that uh, when he puts the demons in there, they're going to run off the cliff and die. And so he robbed the man of, um, of his pigs. And my response was, Jews weren't supposed to keep pigs. They're not supposed to be around pigs. So it was an exorcism and a de in one. It's a two-in-one miracle. Uh, I find it highly powerful. But the next story is even more powerful. Chapter 5. By the way, if you're panicking, we're not going to go all the way through the book of Mark. I'm just trying to say, if, if God came, this is exactly the God you want. Jesus crossed over by boat to another side, trying to get away. Large crowd gathers him. One of the synagogue leaders Comes, runs, and says, he falls down. He goes, my little daughter is dying. Now, this one breaks my heart. It just does. He says, please come and put your hands on her so that she may live. Jesus immediately goes. He didn't say, I've been trying to get some downtime. I need me space now. You know, some bath salts, you know, yoga class. No, he just goes. And I find that fascinating. A large crowd gathers around him. Now, the reason a large crowd is gathering around him is that the malls don't open for about 2,000 years. There's no cable. This is very fascinating. Something's about to happen. And people are coming. And there's a crush of people when a woman comes in who has had an issue of blood. An issue of blood. Well, that's uterine bleeding is what they're talking about. Now that made her unclean according to Jewish law. She was not to be around her family. She was to be off away from people. She was certainly not allowed to be in the town. But she must have heard that Jesus was coming through. And she's worked her way into the crowd. The Bible says she had spent all that she had on doctors. uh, And then ran out of money. And the doctors quit caring for her. It was just, this is a lonely woman. Not with her family and it's, it's just horrible. So she walks, she gets in there and she just says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe he'll, she touches and she's healed. And Jesus stops the crowd. Now, this is extremely unusual. He stops the crowd and he goes, right, who touched me? Somebody touched me. And of course, his apostles are going, yeah, we call it a crowd. You know, that's, I'm not really, and Jesus, why would he do this? This is an embarrassing illness. This isn't, this isn't like a war wound that you, that you uh, uh, sustained while being a hero. It's, it's nothing, it, this is a very personal thing. Why would he do that? Because there's no way this woman's getting in there, touching a man and getting out without people seeing her and picking up rocks. So Jesus stops everything. And he calls her a, a name he never uses Ever again in the Gospels. He goes, daughter, your faith has healed you. What's Jesus doing right now? He's going with a Sabbath leader to heal a daughter. And on the way, there's another woman. And Jesus has just adopted her. Saying, you're my daughter. You go in peace. A Jewish phrase meaning under my protection. Nobody messes with her. And if you've just seen what Jesus has done, you're going to give this woman some respect and space. Jesus spent a great amount of time in the Gospels giving women respect and space. Have a look. Well, about that time, a man came running up and said to the synagogue leader, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. Oh, my goodness. I have a daughter. I have a son. Our daughter uh, and our son are our heroes of ours, and we love them. Our son sustained injuries a lot because uh, he's, he, he, he grew up ready to be a Marine, and he became a Marine. And uh, he's, he's just, um, the hospital knew him by name, and he, he's done great. Thank you very much. Our daughter never really had much serious, and it just breaks my heart to think of, of a daughter dying. Some of you have experienced that, and I can't tell you I know how you feel. All I can do is say, it breaks my heart too, just knowing well, the man begins to buckle at the knees. Jesus grabs him and says, "Don't, no, no. Don't be afraid. Just believe. So they go to the house and people are weeping and wailing all over. Jesus says, get everybody out. Gives privacy. Walks over to the little girl. He looks at her. And then says, talitha, go In the Aramaic. Why would he say, speak in Aramaic? Well, it could be that he spoke in Aramaic all the time. Uh, It could be that he spoke in Hebrew some and Aramaic some. They're related languages, but not the same. Uh, He probably even knew Greek. Would not have been unusual for Judah to know some Greek at that time. If you're right now going, he's God, he knows everything. Stop it. Jesus became human so that he could work with us and show us what God was like. But he didn't thunder about the place. He walked with us. And Talitha, whenever you go back to the language of your childhood... Your heart is touched. And the Bible says his heart was greatly touched at this loss. And he touched her. He said, get up. She did. People were completely astonished. And Jesus didn't say, all right, bring in those doubters who just laughed at me. He didn't do that. He walked away. What, What kind of God does that? A God that loves you more than he loves getting all the praise and glory. Getting all the attention. He loves you. He'll heal you and just walk away. We're running up on an end of time here. But I want you to go through here. The feeding of the 5,000. Fascinating. 5,000 people. The, they're starting to drop from hunger. So his apostles lean into God, Jesus, saying, you might want to wrap it up. Uh, Jesus looks at them and says, get him something to eat. <laughs> you got 12 unemployed guys. You know, and and 5,000 people just showed up at your house. Whip up something, guys. And they bring the little boy that has this. I've seen the painting where he's offering it to Jesus and it's all very sweet. But it, that's uh, no, no. When you got 5,000 hungry people uh, and you got one kid that whose mother packed a lunch, you know, and he's got his mama's Burger basket, the, you know, the, the expensive Tupperware of the day. Uh, they brought the boy who had the food. I had the feeling he, he was kind of wrapped around it at that point. They bring him over to Jesus and he goes, okay, that'll do. Line them up. Would you have lined people up? I think the apostles sometimes come in for kicking. Because they seem silly. And slow at times. But man they had more faith than we did. Because they lined people up. And Jesus fed them all. Picked up a bunch of leftovers. A lot more leftovers than there were original food. And um, I've had a preacher once. Use that as a thing. That's why it's a sin to waste. Are you kidding? That's what you got? That's what you got from this? Have you never read the book of Ruth? No, no, no. Jesus, I'm sure, gave all that extra food to the wee boy to take home. Because he'd had a hard day. (laughs) He'd had his food taken. So he's going to get more food. And his mom is going to be happy because there are more baskets coming. We could keep going. Jesus walking on water in chapter uh, chapter 6. It's funny. Because Jesus is up and he's looking down on the sea. They're in a storm, in trouble, about to die. Jesus then... Walks, the scripture says, he went down to be with them. Next line, as he was about to pass them. I don't know. What did he say? Race you? Um, I've had people try to make this a big holy thing too. Please, you don't have to. You really don't. Peter's the only one who gets smart. He goes, I want to be where you are. Jesus says, come on. Peter walks, takes some steps, gets afraid, starts to sink. And again, we kick him, but he still has the human walking on water record. All of it. I could do this for days. But the fact is. The very God. You hoped for. Came. And the record is here. You just got to get the stained glass out of your eyes. You got to get. All the storm and thunder. That we painted God as if he's some. Zeus. Or he's some Odin. No. No. This is God. This. is book reveals him to us. Yeah, he came. And that changed everything.